Well, I'm thankful that all of you are with us this morning, and if you are a guest, I would like to personally invite you to come back and meet me after this service at the uh, Join the Journey area under the flags and give us a chance to tell you more about what's going on at our church. One of the things you've heard about is Harvest Weekend, and go by the Welcome Center and pick up one of these brochures, and you will read about all the good works we're trying to do in two weeks as we support the gospel around the world. Now, if you're watching right now online, you can't pick up a brochure, but you can go to the Harvest website. It is really well done. I would encourage all of you to check it out, see who our missionaries are, read their blogs, read their stories, learn about the good works we're partnering with around the world, and be prepared for a great weekend in two weeks. So, we are in Romans chapter 8. I've titled it Greatness because... It's not just my favorite chapter in the Bible, but it is the chapter in the Bible that I think has more of the great themes of Scripture than any other place. And I hope you have been overwhelmed with the goodness and greatness of God as we've studied together. We've learned so much about how we have no condemnation status, how we are sons and daughters of God. How in a world of groaning, we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us and a God making all things work together for our eternal good. And what we're going to see is that Paul gets to a place where most preachers don't like to admit they get where he's almost out of words. Where he's going to say, what can we say in response to all this? And we're going to see what he's got to say these next two weeks. And it is greatness. But let me start with a story about a boxer named James Tillis. He was from Tulsa, Oklahoma, but he fought out of Chicago in the 1980s, achieved some notoriety for his skill. He tells a story of getting on the bus with two cardboard suitcases to go to Chicago to make a name for himself. He got off the bus. He went to the Sears Tower. He put those cardboard suitcases on the sidewalk and he looked up at that tower and he said, Chicago, I am going to conquer you. He looked down, someone had stolen the suitcases. (laughs) And it reminds us that many people seem to settle for what I would call a conquered life. A life where they just simply try to survive. But then there are those people who don't just survive, but they thrive at life. It's not because life's easier. They have the same hardships and trials as everyone else, but they seem to have this conquering confidence. And it's greatness. And Paul had it. And we're going to read why, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding. For us. So Paul says, What can we say in response to all this greatness we've been talking about these last few weeks? 
You know, it's hard to ever find a preacher admit he's at a loss for words. But Paul is saying, I don't even know what words to use, but words must be used. And he found some. If God is for us, who can be against us? These are the words that are planted deep into the heart of every conquering life. It is the gospel. It is the good news in just four words. God is for us. And you're going to hear me say that over and over. And you're going to leave today with a decision of whether or not you are going to embrace those four words. Is God really for us? Because if he is, it is a game changer. It will rock your world. It will change your life. These are four words. That reign over anything in life that's trying right now to take you under. God is for us. Just think about that. Who are we talking about? God. Now you've all been betrayed. Maybe by your parents or maybe by a mate or maybe by friends. But there is one who will never abandon you. He is the Almighty who spoke and things that were not came to be. It is God we're talking about. God is, not was, not maybe, not only when you do well, not used to be, but right now in this very moment where you are, God is. Four, not neutral, not sitting back saying, show me something. Give me one good reason to be on your side. Perform. No, he's already decided. Before you were born, he made up his mind. The Almighty is for some of us, the best of us. No, God is is for all of us. Now I'm telling you, four words, if you believe them, will rock your world and change your life. And a lot of you don't believe them. You don't believe them because life has kicked you around some. You don't believe them maybe because you've been the victim of a lot of really bad preaching. But we're going to change that this morning. Paul sees no possible shadow of doubt on this matter. God is for us. And that means nothing trying to take us under can conquer. Now, that doesn't mean we'll never have anyone be against us. It doesn't mean we'll never experience opposition. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall Trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved 
us. So he's not saying you're never going to have anybody or anything be against you. He's not saying you're never going to experience opposition. What he's saying is not that opposition will not be present, but it will be impotent to prevent God who is for you from accomplishing in you everything he ultimately and eternally purposes. It makes all the difference in the world. Is God really for us? They were a nation of slaves. They were nobodies. Egypt was the mightiest nation on earth. But God wasn't for Egypt. God was for Israel. And they left Egypt and crossed through a sea. And the Philistines were mightier in resources, in military technology. But God wasn't for the Philistines. God was for the Hebrews. And if God is for you, then Pharaoh and Goliath don't have a chance. He says, we're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. By the way, the word conquer, it's also sometimes translated victory or overcomer, is the word Nike. So he says, we're not just Nikes. We are super Nikes. Because God is for us. Now, if that's true, we ought to be living with a great amount of confidence. Are you? Do you really believe that God is for us? If you're a football fan, you'll recognize this picture. It's from 1969. The AFL conference and the NFL conference had merged a few years before and started a game called the Super Bowl. The older, experienced NFL had always won by big scores. No one thought the AFL teams were ready to play yet in the big game. And this quarterback named Joe Namath, he takes his team, the Jets, representing the AFL to the Super Bowl. He doesn't just say we're going to play well. He guarantees that they will win. And they did. They pull off what was considered one of the greatest upsets in football history. And when he runs off the field, he holds up that finger as if to say to the whole world, I told you, I knew we'd win. Wouldn't you like to live like that? With that kind of conquering, overwhelming confidence. And Paul says you should. You should because there are some things that you ought to know. For example, you ought to know that God gave Jesus up. For us. Now, in the Bible, many people are mentioned as responsible for giving up or handing over or delivering Jesus to the cross. Judas is mentioned. So is Pilate. So is Herod. The Jews. Our sin. Even Jesus himself said, no one takes my life from me. I give it up of my own accord. But ultimately, God was responsible for delivering up our deliverer. Now, I'm going to read a sentence to you. You've heard it all your life. But today you're going to hear it new. You ready? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. It just takes a few seconds to read it. Eternity is not enough time. To fathom it. God gave up Jesus for us. 
Now, I don't care much for worship wars. People like to argue about, I like old songs, or I like new songs. I like good songs. I like songs that have some theological depth. A song isn't good just because it's old. I'm sorry, but do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me, oh Lordy, is not a Christian classic, okay? (laughs) It will not have a long shelf life. And some of the new songs are just as theologically trivial. But every now and then, somebody writes a song that is so gospeled that it gets sung for ages. And you just sang one. And when I think that God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. It's what Paul is saying. How do you put that into words? What's good enough to respond to that? That on the cross, my burden gladly buried. He bled and died to take away my sin. And Paul says, if God would do that, Will he not also graciously do all things? Now, it doesn't mean you're going to get a Cadillac if you ask for it. That means, what is God going to keep from you that you need to conquer and become the person in Jesus Christ you are destined to become? What could you possibly need to conquer and be the victorious witness for Christ that you need if God's going to keep from you if he would do that? God gave up Jesus for us. So, why are so many of us still trying to convince God to be for us? Hasn't he made that clear? Look what Paul said three chapters earlier. God showed his great love for us. By sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And it's right here that the spirit of condemnation must be met and challenged and conquered. God didn't declare you righteous because of what you've done. So he's not suddenly going to declare you unrighteous because of anything you do. God gave up Jesus for you. God has ruled. There is no higher court. And the judge is for us. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? When God justifies, you can be confident that you stay justified. We are uncondemnable. Because to condemn, God would have to forget and undo everything he did when he gave up Jesus for us. Is he going to just forget about the cross? Is he going to just overlook the resurrection? Sin cannot change your relationship to God. 
So stop letting it change your confidence in your relationship to God. Yes, I stumbled. Yes, I failed to be all I ought to be. But I don't have to worry if God has my back. Because he put my condemnation on Jesus' back. And so, I rest in this. That he was given up for us. He was lifted up for us. He was raised up for us. Christ Jesus who died more than that. Who was raised life is at the right hand of God. And is also interceding for us. See I know that. I know that not only did God give up Jesus for us. But Jesus speaks up for us. He didn't return to heaven to retire. He returned to heaven to represent us. He, the only one who lived a perfectly righteous life, the only one in the universe who has a right to condemn, is instead our defense eternity. Hebrews 9.24, he entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. And you never lost a case. That Jesus lives to guard what he died to grant. So every time we sin or we stumble, he's there speaking for us. Reminding the Father of the righteousness that he has given to us. And so now, the only way to experience God's againstness is to reject the very gift he gave to prove his forness. That's why in two weeks, I'm going to write the biggest check I'll write all year. And with joy, I'm going to give it on a harvest weekend because I want to send people out to every country and let the world know what they haven't been told yet, that God is for them. That's why we have who's your one cards on every campus and we walk onto them and we pray for them. Because every single person is someone God loves that Jesus came for. Every single person is someone God is for. And we want to see them come to Jesus. Because the only way you could ever experience God's againstness is to reject the very gift that proves his forness. That's why at the end of this sermon, I'm going to pray over you. And we're going to sing a song. And there are going to be people down here at the front. And some of you are going to come and say, I want to get my life back right. I want to publicly proclaim Christ and be baptized. I want people to know that I am for the God who is for me. Because Jesus is more than your only hope. He is your certain hope. That's why I like the story of the uh, young journalist interviewing a very successful businessman about his fortune and how he came by it. And so the man said, well... You know, when I'm married, my wife and I, all we had was the roof over our head, a few cans of beans in the pantry, and a nickel. And I went down to the grocery store, and I bought an apple. 
And I shined and I polished that apple and I sold it for a dime. And I took that dime and I went back to the grocery store and I bought two apples. And I shined and I polished those apples and I sold them for 20 cents. And the young journalist thinking, this is going to be a great human interest story. What happened then? And the man said, well, then my father-in-law died and left me $20 million. Let me tell you something. My eternity is sure not because I'm all shined up, not because I'm polished, because I got friends in high places. I got a God that gave up his son for me. I got a son that's standing by the father speaking up for me. I am connected. God is for us. And I know by the price God gave and the intercession that Jesus gives, nothing can conquer their love. So here's the big takeaway. Here's how this matters. It means then that no circumstance can shake up our confidence. Because God doesn't make empty promises and Jesus doesn't change his mind and the Holy Spirit isn't fickle. All of heaven is for us. And so when life comes against us and it will. We're not going to allow our circumstance to diminish our confidence. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. That's the best no in the whole Bible. Now, typically, I like the word yes a lot better. The Bible says Jesus is our yes. But sometimes no is a good word. When you have a biopsy and the doctor's office calls and you say, was there any cancer? And they say, no, that's a good no. When you hear that your children are in a bus accident and you ask, was anybody hurt? And they say, no, that's a good no. And when you find out that there is nothing in the universe that can keep God from doing what he has determined and destined to accomplish in your life, that's a good no. God did not say no to the cross. And Jesus did not say no to death so that we can say no to any attack on our confidence. And so when life comes against us and when the enemy tries to whisper, God isn't on your side, you can say, we're not going there, devil. You can't shake my confidence. God has made himself known. God is for me and there's nothing in this universe i need to fear because there's nothing that can affect me in anything but a temporary way i will live as a victor not a victim i will thrive and not just survive this thing we call doing life i'm not much of a horse racing fan But I watched an amazing video on YouTube recently of the 2009 Kentucky Derby. There was a horse in that race called Mind That Bird. It was a 50 to 1 long shot. No one bet on this horse. When the race started, the horse was so far behind you couldn't see it in the picture. The announcer didn't even mention it till at one point he said, and way behind the rest is Mind That Bird. And then around the three-eighths mile marker, something happened. And that horse went into a new gear. 
It got on the inside rail, and it just started passing horse after horse. And it came down the stretch and won the race by seven links. Nobody made any money because nobody bet on the horse. (laughs) Even the horse's owner said, that wasn't on our radar. (laughs) And so how could you explain it? The best answer came from the jockey who said, I rode him. Like a good horse. See, it makes a difference. It makes a difference when you have confidence. It makes a difference when you believe you can't lose. It makes a difference when you believe you belong on that track. It makes a difference when you know that God is for you and has already declared your victory. We are lambs that ultimately conquer. So John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have. You know, as a young boy in the church I grew up in, we were so certain about a whole bunch of stuff that was innately irrelevant. And the one thing that was most important, do you know you are saved? We weren't sure about And the more I know the gospel, the less I care about being certain about all the trivia. And the more I know and am sure of my answer to the one question that matters most. Am I saved? Will I conquer death? Will I defeat the grave? Will I live forever with my Lord and my Master? Yes, I will. Because God is for me. And that is greatness. Try to fathom what we've been talking about these last few weeks. We have no condemnation status with God. We're not slaves who live in fear of a difficult master. We are sons and daughters of a beloved daddy. Whose own spirit indwells us and leads us and teaches us to pray Abba. And even when we don't know how to pray. His spirit is in us praying for us. Interceding in our hearts just as the sun is interceding for us in heaven. And all things are at work in God's economy to bring about his purpose for me. And my body's going to get raised and made immortal. And I'm going to be presented imperishable and glorified forever. Before the whole creation that is going to praise the goodness of God. What shall we say in response to all this? We should say now what we'll say then and what we'll say forever. How great thou art. How great thou art. And we should say it with confidence. So stand up. I need to pray over you. If you're on our response team, would you go ahead and take your place right now? So, Father, I'm praying in Jesus' powerful name that you will take this teaching and plant it deep in the hearts of all who hear. Because we need to hear it, God. Life comes against us hard. And not only that, but we've been the the victims of some bad propaganda. We've heard too much bad teaching and we've even heard the enemy whisper, God's not on your side. And we, we reject that today. We stand against that today. We rebuke the lie today. And we claim and we accept and we embrace that the God of heaven is for us. 
And I'm praying right now that people are going to be moved in their hearts to do something about this teaching today. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe they're going to come and receive prayer. Maybe they're going to come and turn their lives over to Christ. Maybe they're going to come public and go be baptized to say, I want you to know I'm for the God that's for me. But I'm praying right now today, God, that in every heart, a decision gets made that makes a difference. Because how can we stay the same when we have been in the presence of a God who is for us? So I pray this to honor Jesus. Amen. Please come.